This is Epic Ordinary Lives Podcast. Welcome to episode two of Epic Ordinary Lives, the podcast that seeks to find the commonalities between all of the quests that all of us are on, because each and every one of us is on a hero's journey. And in one hand, we are quite ordinary, normal human beings who have the potential to live very epic lives. And this week's guest is no different. Carol Burning is a local artist in the Middle Tennessee area, and her bio says, As a toddler, I sat underneath quilts which were suspended in large frames as my mother, grandmothers, and their friends created delicate, feathery patterns with their stitches. Gazing up at the stained glass fabric, I watched them push their tiny quilting needles through the layers of muslin, cotton batting, and colorful squares. That is my earliest memory of beautiful art. Following their lead, I grew up sewing and quilting, and many years later, I began to explore drawing and painting, studying under the guidance of Susan Truex. I enjoy painting images of people and things that are important to me, whether a still life of eggs or rusty heaps, portraits of family and friends, or landscapes of lush fields or dark alleyways. I am fascinated by how light and shadow create form, bringing a two-dimensional image to life. Carol is a recipient of the Tennessee Top 10 Portrait Artists Award from the Portrait Society of America in 2015 and 2016. She's published in Strokes of Genius 8, Expressive Texture, a 2016 publication, as well as the People's Choice Award, Women Painters of the Southeast, Juried Show and Sell. This was a conversation that I truly loved, and I hope you'll enjoy it. So without further ado, here's Carol Burning with Epic Ordinary Lives. I am sitting in the lovely woman cave as you called it, with Carol Burning. This is the art studio of a great local artist in the Murfreesboro, Las Casas, Milton Milton area. Mm -hmm. Let's kick it off by just getting kind of a a bio with as many hyphens as you would like to add to it, uh, both past and present. Well, I um, grew up on a little farm in West Tennessee. Alamo, Tennessee, and uh, I was the child of farmers, and so that's where I spent my life, and I promised myself when I was a little girl that if I ever got off that farm, I would never have another garden as long as I lived. (laughs) Many years later, I moved to a farm, (laughs) and I can't wait for spring to have a garden. I came to MTSU to college. It was a long way from my home, according to my mother. She thought that Murfreesboro was the end of the world, and and I left home to come to the end of the world. It was a wonderful experience for me, though, because I met so many 
different people and different cultures and my eyes were opened to a world outside of little Crockett County. Crockett County was a great place to grow up, but it it was wonderful to come to Murfreesboro. My mother always wanted me to be a teacher. She wanted me to get married, have children, and to be a to get a teaching certificate so I would have something to fall back on. Right. So I didn't do all of those things. I did get a teaching certificate. I I had a wonderful English professor my freshman year at MTSU. And as a result of her guidance, I changed my major to English and I became an English teacher. So that's what I did for most of my life. I was a middle school language arts teacher. It wasn't until about uh, 12 years ago or so that I started painting. Well, I'm curious, what is the name of the, the teacher that changed your path dramatically like that? Margaret Ordebodian. And she still lives in Murfreesboro, and I see her occasionally. We're great friends. In fact, she has commissioned me to do some paintings of her grandchildren. Oh, wow. <laughs> that's, that's a full circle right there, in, yes. a, in a way. Many of us can think back to teachers that really were game changers for us. I heard recently a quote about someone uh, entered into microbiology or something. I was listening to an interview and they said, I really didn't like microbiology. I just liked the teacher, my biology teacher in high school who kind of got me thinking about it. And then I realized it was the person, not necessarily the, the subject matter, but any uh, traits or experiences that you want to share specifically with her? Because there could be people listening right now that are in high school or, or in college or maybe going back to college. But this the power of, of one good teacher so incredible. Actually, as I was thinking about this interview and preparing for the interview, I was thinking about a couple of teachers that I had also in elementary school. My third grade teacher was Miss Manasco, and she was a very loving, kind, sweet lady. And she was actually the first teacher that I had that I thought, maybe I'll want to teach. You know, maybe, maybe I would like to be a teacher. The, uh, the next teacher that had a great influence on me that I really didn't realize until recently was Mrs. Gwynn, who was my fifth grade teacher. And what I remember most about fifth grade is the art project that we did. She Mm. had us put together an art booklet and she had these fabulous little, they, they weren't, they were smaller than baseball cards, but they were little cards that had reproductions of old master paintings. We got to choose which ones we wanted to put in our art project booklet and and I chose well I I fell in love with Renoir at that time that's <laughs> so third grade again well that was fifth grade fifth grade okay that was fifth grade yeah but back to uh, Dr. Orvadian she took a personal interest in her students and you mentioned whether it was the subject matter or whether it was her and it was a little bit of both mm. I I began my college entrance as as a home economics major and I discovered that there was lots of science and math in home ec and I didn't care for that 
but I love to read. So, you know, I had I had a wonderful professor who took an interest in her students, a personal interest made learning fun. And you get to learn while you read. I mean, what could be better than that? So for a for a reading lover, that yes. that is true. <laughs> Were you a read like did you love to read from a very early Oh yes. Yes. My my parents had a um an apple tree in the middle of our garden. I would sit in the apple tree and read. Whenever my parents couldn't find me, they'd just go to the garden and there I'd be in the apple tree. So yes, I've always loved to read. This is a good place to go into really your your art, what you do. Okay. And, and I, I'm later curious about how did this begin? I think you mentioned that uh, 12, 12 years ago mm-hmm. is kind of when it, it kicked off for you. So I'm not certain where that fits within working your day job as well as doing this thing you love. But let's just start from the beginning because I on your website, it says... As a toddler, I sat underneath quilts and large frames as my mother, grandmothers, and their friends created delicate, feathery patterns with their stitches. Gazing up at the stained glass fabric, I love I love that description, I watched them push their tiny quilting needles through the layers of muslin, cottony batting, and colorful squares. That is my earliest memory of beautiful art. So... It sounds like this was in your family, being an artist, doing quilting, and we actually, I met your mother this morning. Tell me about that. How early did this passion take hold? I guess, interestingly, I don't think my passion for painting and drawing really took hold until fairly recently, until 12 years ago. Mm -hmm. However, through Facebook, got in contact a year or so ago with a family friend from years ago, from our childhood. She was a few years older than I. Our families used to get together. Our our parents would play canasta together, and we kids would play games, Red Rover, you know. What is canasta? Canasta is a card game. Okay. She said to me, what I remember about you, Carol, is that you would sit over in the corner and color and draw while we were running around the house. And it was interesting because I didn't remember that, but she remembered that about me. So maybe I have been coloring and drawing more than the 12 years that I thought I had. I've tried to interest mother in doing some painting. Mm -hmm. My mother has a beautiful eye for color and pattern. And I think she would be a fabulous painter, but she has said, no, no, I can't paint. But she is an artist with fabric. She's just, she's a beautiful quilter. I remember the fabric, the, the, I remember the creativity with fabric from a child, but I don't remember drawing and coloring and painting as a child. I actually started painting when Carl Carl's father was ill and dying and and Carl was spending weeks in Chattanooga taking care of him. Mm. And I had a lot of time on my hands. Right. You know, didn't have to cook dinner for anybody. 
because you know I can eat a peanut butter sandwich. I don't yeah, know. I, I eat a can of sardines the, and an avocado uh, and oh, good. Yeah, Aaron. well, anyway, I'm weird. I'm weird, but it, <laughs> okay. that's my version of a okay. peanut butter sandwich. But um, so I said, I think I'll teach myself to paint. So I bought some books, looked at some YouTube videos, and started teaching myself to do watercolor and. Watercolor, because I thought, well, if I don't like this, you know, I won't have invested as much money. Low investment, right. Yeah. Silly me. (laughs) (laughs) I did a few watercolors and and I enjoyed it. It It was fun. And then one weekend when Carl was home, we went to an open house for a local art school studio. And one of the women who was teaching there knew Carl from years past, from a previous work interaction, but she was teaching and he said to me, how about if I give you art lessons for Christmas? And I said, perfect. So I started taking art lessons from Susan Truex, who has become my mentor is the most wonderful she's a fabulous fabulous artist and she was a great teacher so that's that's was really my impetus for what I'm doing now and when you started this YouTube self-taught path were you working at that time oh yes yes was this teaching as well middle I was a middle school language arts teacher yes and did you, was this something that you would do like daily when you went home or was this heavily on the, cause I, I think people have passion. And, and another question I have before we go further with that though, did you, before you, you did this, was this always something that kind of bugged you or did this just show up in this period where you did have a lot of time? I think it just showed up. I don't recall ever having this feeling that I've got to be drawing. Hmm. But I do now. Every day I have to, I'm either sketching or drawing or painting or reading about sketching and painting and drawing, looking at beautiful art. I mean, it's just something I have to do every day now. And I I think that's so hopeful because you might, in life, we might see someone with a passion. And if I see, it's like the teacher example. When you have a teacher that is so good at an area, you can't help but be attracted to that area Mm -hmm. because a passion is itself such an attractive piece. Mm -hmm. And I know in my own life, I've looked at other people and gone, man, they, I wish that I loved something. I wish that I did this as much as they did. or I And it's really, I think, quite hopeful to look at it and go, maybe you just have to wait a little bit longer. Maybe your thing is just not here yet because this is not something I knew when I was eight years old that I wanted this showed up. And yet it is something that you love because you do it every day. Take us through you, you get trained by her. How does that look? Is, is this still during the workaday life as well? It is still during the workaday life. So uh, she taught classes in the evening. And so one day a week. I think I probably started out on Tuesday evenings. I would go to the school and for three hours we'd paint. And when I first started classes with her, her her classes were set up so that there were four or five students in the class and each of the students usually 
worked on something different. We each had our own project that we were working on, and she was there to guide us and instruct mm. us. And we, occasionally we would do something all together, and I can talk about that later too. But so when I first started my very first class, I, I took some photographs in that I had taken and looked through them and with her. And she said, well, I, I think this would probably be a good place to start. Let's start with this photograph. So my very first painting was of a little wild violet that I had taken a photograph of it. And then when I finished with that painting, I went in and I said, okay, you're going to think I'm crazy, but I want to do a portrait. And she said, if you can measure, you can paint a portrait because... It's all about, you know, measuring those spaces on Scale. the face. And yes, you know, so I did a portrait next. I've got several pictures in front of me of stuff that you did. Was this the picture? What portrait was this? The first portrait that I did was a portrait of my grandmother. Mm. And I, I, had seen a, I had seen a portrait that was done by a very famous person portrait artist who does a lot of artwork in Conte, crayon, pastels. And I said, I, I want to do something like this. So I did a monochromatic portrait of my grandmother. Well, it wasn't great, but it was okay. And I decided later that, you know, I think I want to change that monochromatic portrait and turn it into a full color portrait. So not in her, not under her guidance, but I brought it home with me and, you know, started adding color to it. Mm. And D- Define monochromatic. Mono means one. Um, so I used probably burnt umber, one color. Okay. And developed the values with that one color. And I have, I have some paintings in my studio that I can show you that are done in that that one. Okay, yes. yeah, we're looking yes. at one. So uh, this this is a painting that I call at the gallery, and I painted this from a photograph that I took of a man looking at. Well, actually, there were several people in the photograph, and they were looking at paintings on the wall in the gallery in Abingdon, Virginia, where mm. the Women Painters of the Southeast show was last time. I was just struck by the light coming in the window and the shadows on the floor. And so I wanted to do a monochromatic painting of that. And I used burnt umber and burnt sienna in that painting. Which are colors specific. Yes. And I wiped away areas or didn't put any paint on it to get the lightest lights. So the, you know, the window, for instance, has no paint on Mm -hmm. it. So what when I look at that, what I see, and I, I am not classically trained, but I, I see that this is a way of kind of reducing the number of elements. So you're you're only using the this specific color scheme, and yet by reducing, by going a bit more reductionist, you draw attention, like you said, to the light in that room. If if there were a lot of colors, it seems like it would not give you as clear of a, a feel for there's what you a, were... There's a chance that, that that would be true. The The viewer might be only looking at the colors and not necessarily the values. And, and, that, and that's something that I have learned as I have 
been painting and I continue to learn it and, and relearn mm. it, the value is actually more important than the color. Oh, it, 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 talk more on that. Well, if, if you have, I mean, you can paint a purple cow. It doesn't matter that it's purple. If you have the values right, if you have the darkest darks in that painting, if you have the lightest lights. I did a painting several years ago, well, about three years ago, of a still life of some eggs Mm, on a red kitchen towel with money because I sell my eggs and from my chickens and I called it egg money. It was, it's always been one of my favorite paintings. I loved it. And I would take it to shows or festivals or wherever I was selling my wares and it never sold. And I thought that's, you know, I got to figure out what's going on with that painting. Mm -hmm. I discovered this past year that what was wrong with that painting was that everything was the same value. It had this bright red towel and it had these gorgeous uh, light brown eggs and it had a green dollar bill and it had shiny coins. But when I looked at it through a red transparent film, which takes the color away and reduces everything to value, I saw that's what's wrong with it. It's all one value. So I redid the painting a few weeks ago. So not enough contrast. Not enough contrast. The darks darks weren't there. This is like what this reminds me of immediately is music. I don't remember exactly who said it, but someone said it's it's as much about the sounds as it is the spaces between the sound, the silences. Yes, that's right. Um, you Otherwise, you're just pounding on the keyboard keys or mm-hmm. whatever instrument may it be. You, you've got to have this contrast. Mm-hmm. Going back to this early period, you finish kind of your first thing. Of course, you finish the the flowers, but what what does it feel like to be early on the path of a path that you now take part in every day? What does it feel like to finish, even as you say, it it wasn't super great necessarily compared to what you do now, but what does that feel like early on? Well, I think early on in my painting, I was thrilled with everything I finished. Right. I thought, hey, this is, you know, I'm not doing bad here. This is pretty good. But one of the things I did, which was a, there, there's a website called Wet Canvas. And at that website, there are different threads for discussion Hmm. that people can participate in. There's a thread for still life, for portraits, for, you know, whatever. And if you want to, you can upload your images and ask for critique. If you don't want a critique, you can just say, no critique. I'm just uploading it so you can see it. Well, I figured, you know, if you're going to upload it, you might as well ask for a critique, right? right? A free That's right. takeaway from... So that was one of the things I started doing pretty early on. And it was really good for me to do that because those anonymous people out there in Cyberland were very happy to tell you what they thought about your painting. Brutally internet level <laughs> honesty. Yes, yes. I remember I did I did a painting of eggs early on and and one of the guys said, "Your eggs look like potatoes." <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, so early on I was pretty happy with most everything I did. Carl, 
my husband has become, well, he's always been a really good and brutal critic for me. So now when I'm finishing a painting, well, before I'm through with it, I will show it to him and he will tell me what he sees. And, and it's great because he has a good eye. He's not a painter. You know, he's a viewer. And so I want somebody who is going to be viewing my work to look at it and tell me what you see and what you think. And I did a portrait a few months ago of a young girl. It was part of a project for um, human trafficking. Yes. And so I did, I did a portrait of her and I was really happy with it. But I showed it to Carl and he said, there's something really wrong with that portrait. Mm. Her, her face is not right. What I, I, I kept going back at it and kept reworking and looking at it and remeasuring. And it was a three quarter view. And I had some of the features kind of in the middle of the face and though it was a three quarter view. So, so I reworked it. And, and so now I'm much more critical of my work. I will often, uh, when I'm doing a painting, just set it aside for a few days. I've also discovered I will often post my work on social media before it's done. And there, there's a, you know, a lot of people have difference of opinion about whether you should do that or not. Sure. But when I do that, you know, I always let people know this is a work in progress. You know, this is what I'm working on. Maybe I'll post just a, a little bit of it. But I, I like to get feedback. And I do commissions for people. Usually the commissions are portraits. There's a stage in the portrait process where the person looks really scary. I mean, it's... Hmm it's it's not uh, it's not really something you want to show the customer <laughs> so i wait until i've gotten past that scary point and then i will show the customer and get feedback and and i did a portrait recently of friends two children and i sent her the the i took a photograph of it and sent it to her and said okay give me some feedback tell me what you see that i might not be seeing since they're your children and i said and but remember this is still a work in progress so and i also said i have thick skin i can take it so tell me what you see so and this brings up so many things i really have two questions here but first you have thick skin now. Did, did you? Was this hard at the beginning to subject yourself to not only the anonymous screaming of the internet, but was this this hard as you offered out? Because a lot of people think back to their earliest memories of drawing a dragon or a princess or something in in their class, and someone told them it wasn't good. At least this is the cultural narrative of. And then I stopped, and I don't I don't do that because I failed. It sounds like you're kind of comfortable. I, I think I am comfortable with that. I, I'm fearless. I'll try anything. And, you know, it, I may not succeed at it. But if, if I want somebody to tell me their opinion about something, I want their opinion. So, Have you, you know, always been fearless or is this something that you developed more? I think I've always been fearless. I think I have. 
I started taking piano lessons when I was in the second grade because one of the teachers told my mother, I think she needs to take piano lessons. Why do you think she, what did she see in you that I, indicated? I think that we probably had little musical programs in, in the class and she saw that I had some musical talent. Right. So I started taking piano lessons. I took piano lessons for about four or five years. And then I started taking voice lessons. And that is another teacher who had a huge impact on my life was my my voice teacher who mm. was also he was the choir director in our little school and but he he would have huge productions musical productions and his students would perform in them so i think part of that performing on stage maybe helped me to not be frightened of what was out there I think I was 16. I'll have to look back at the date, but I was, I, I performed on the Ted Mac amateur hour. You're too young to know what the Ted Mac amateur hour was, but it's TV kind of like star search. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. The voice. <laughs> That's yeah. And I was a, you know, little teenager from Alamo, Tennessee. And, and my family took me to uh, Miami beach, Florida, and I sang with the Jackie Gleason Orchestra in the Jackie Gleason wow. Studio. And <laughs> so, so yeah, I think I've always been fearless. Because early on, you put yourself in the fire. And were you, do you remember being nervous about it then? No, because <laughs> I didn't have my glasses on. And I'm blind as a bat. <laughs> and I couldn't see the, uh, I couldn't see the, the crowd that, wow. that was sitting in the audience. So... I wasn't nervous. It was just this amorphous yeah. <laughs> blend of other out there. But that yeah. that's so... I'm sure there's a great metaphor or symbol there of, of just take... Sometimes just Go take blindly. Your, yeah, take your glasses <laughs> off. Quit studying all the details. Well, and actually, that was a good... That's a good thing to do in painting as well. Hmm. Every teacher that I've had, every article that I read about you know, how to do, how to, how to paint, how to draw is to squint. When you squint at, don't squint at your painting, but squint at your subject, squint at whatever it is that you are going to be painting. And when you do that, you reduce everything to its simplest elements. You see those values that I was talking about earlier. You see the darks, you see the lights, you don't see the details. So I will often take my glasses off when I'm painting and when I'm looking at something out there. Because in some way, when we see all the details, perhaps we're not seeing something at its most. There's a deeper seeing, perhaps. Is is that kind of what you're, when you, when you reduce it again, kind of like the uh, monochromatic mm-hmm. Situation. It, it helps to show you what's the most important. Mm, essential. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of Pareto's principle? No. So this is just a, often it's used in, in business, but they, this, uh, I think you, well, I don't want to mess, I'll, I'll put this in the show notes of this, but this guy figured out that often in nature, in naturally occurring situations, I think it was his pea pods that he determined 20% of the pea pods are responsible for 80% of the yield. Okay. And this is a naturally occurring thing that 
often it, it can be any combination 70 30 80 20 90 10 but a small percentage being responsible for the greater picture so in business they use it to determine you know how should i be what 20% of my actions at work account for 80% of my outcomes but what's interesting is this is kind of like take squinting determining what 20 what what is this essential part of this piece of mm-hmm. this image so we can talk about workshops, but I, I'm just curious. It, it, it sounds like you use photography a lot, but for those of us that don't know this world, how do, what is the genesis, the origin story of any piece? I do use photography a lot, but I prefer to paint from life mm. and not from photographs. From the image in your head or? No, from okay. something sitting right in front of me. Right. If if I were going to paint you, for instance, I would want you to sit for me. And I, I, w- I would take some photographs and I would refer to those photographs from time to time. But I would also like for you to sit for me because, because there are colors that show up in your face that wouldn't show up in a photograph mm. and and for t- the camera plays tricks with the sizes of things and the shapes of things and so it's better to if you can paint from life to paint from life so um it depends on what i'm doing if i'm doing if i'm doing a still life I will, I, I want the items in front of me. And, and again, I will take photographs of those. You know, I'll take several different photographs to maybe to look at to later to refer to, but I want those things in front of me. If I'm doing a portrait, I love to have the person sitting in front of me. I often can't do that. I, I love to do a lot of uh, painting outside, plein air painting. So, you know, I, you can, you can see the colors, you can see the shadows, you can, you can see things that you wouldn't see from a photograph, mm-hmm. even a, a printed photograph, but even a photograph that's on your iPad. I will sometimes use my iPad. In fact, I used my iPad uh, Saturday night when I was painting at Ansbach Galleries in Franklin, we that he has a Saturday night live and artists paint live and people come around and look and oh, ask wow. questions and talk to us. And you get to see the process. You live. get to see the process. I worked on two things while I was there. One was a painting that I had begun earlier of tomatoes on a white kitchen towel. Okay. So I didn't have those tomatoes because that I gathered those tomatoes in the summer you know, I took that photograph in the summer, so right. I didn't have those tomatoes, but I did have the picture on my iPad, so I set my iPad up. And but but even with that, you you don't see everything in that photograph that you see. So back to your question about the genesis and how. I guess the genesis actually starts with something that I have I have to have, either a personal connection to what I want to paint or a passion about it. Mm-hmm. I might not have a personal connection to the person or the thing, but there's a story there that I want to tell. 
there there has to be a story. There has to be some connection to me for me to want to paint it. Can you give us just a brief example of of something like that where it was either a personal connection or or not a personal? Maybe that's an even better place to go is this passion piece because. You know, you've got pictures. I know you have a picture of your husband, mm-hmm. the, a, a portrait the, or, that you pulled out from when he was in Vietnam. I, I do have that correct. Well, the the charcoal that I did, did of him was recently. Okay. Yeah, it, it was, I did, uh, that, that was him recently. However, I have done a series of photographs, a series of paintings that were done from photographs that he took when he was in Vietnam. And that's what I'm actually, yes. okay, that's he, what I'm referencing. He took photographs of children standing along a fence, yes, or in in different places where he was in Vietnam. Those photographs were just little tiny three by five mm. color, but the color had faded. So for the most part, they practically were black and white. And they've been in a box with other things, maps and things that he had from Vietnam. Every so often I would look at those photographs and think, I want to I paint those. So the children, and I can, I can show you one of the, one of the photographs. There, there are several children in each photograph. Mm-hmm. So their faces are just little bitty, tiny, tiny. pinky little faces. I had to do a imagining yeah. to really get color and shadow and things in there that I needed to get. But those those painting those photographs have always spoken to me, and mm. I I've I'm uh, passionate about war. Not that I want it. I'm passionate that we need to have a world without war, and especially how it impacts children. And that's what's always tugged at me all those years when I saw those pictures of those children that I wanted to do paintings of them. So I, I've done a series of oil paintings of those children, and, and I'm working on a series of drawings, either graphite drawings or charcoal drawings of some of the children. And and that's a great place because early on you mentioned in this in, in our talk here about being an activist, about being you use the word hippie, and uh, that's actually how you met your husband to a certain extent. And but it seems like your art does in some way color your uh, desires for, like you said, for for this this lack of conflict. And can you just speak more on that because some of the work that that you, I mean, it seems like a huge piece of the puzzle for you is has to do with people in pain or has to do with uh, children, like you said, in strife. I mean, one of them is actually of a girl. When I saw a photograph of this dignified young woman, I was drawn to her calm gaze and tentative smile. When I read her story, I was compelled to try to capture that dignity in an oil portrait. Her tragic story is one of human trafficking. She is just one of 20.9 million victims of human trafficking globally, including 5.5 million children, according to statistics at 10,000widows.org. So you've done everything from eggs, 
things that are in your life. And then, and then you, there's this larger piece of, of the world and of causes. So I just wanted to ask you about that. Go any direction you want with that. I have a painting in mind that mm. I want to do. Well, let, let me back up a little bit. I'm not sure that I would have the passion for art that I have if I didn't feel the need to say something. Mm. And that something that I say might be, it, it could be, if you look at the body of my work, it could be that she's telling us where she lives. Because I do have a lot of rural um, farm. Mm-hmm. Pastoral kind yes. of. Um, so so that that could be what I'm telling in my story of my paintings. But I also want to tell the human story. And and maybe I want to tell the human story because I love doing portraits so much. I I just, I think it's important to tell the human story, even if it, especially if it's a tragic mm-hmm. story. Because we need to, um, we need to know what other people are suffering what other people are living in, whether they're not suffering. We, we need to know everybody's story. And so that's what I want to tell with my, with, with my portraits. That's what I like to tell. I usually do a Santa Claus painting every Christmas just because people like Santa. Sure. And I was late this year getting my Santa painted. And I usually use my Santa paintings as my Christmas cards. And so I didn't, I didn't get it done in time. So I didn't send out Christmas cards this year, but I thought, you know, maybe I'll send out a New Year's card. And what is it that I want to say with my New Year's card? You know, well, what I, I want to wish that people would have compassion in their hearts, that they would have understanding, that they would have that they would just care about people. So I have a friend who has two little girls, two daughters. And I said, I sent her a text and I said, uh, I would like to take some pictures of your girls. And she said, well, they're at a sleepover. You know, how about if I take some pictures for you when they come back home tomorrow? I said, that's fine. So I told her what I wanted. I wanted I I wanted one or both of the girls to hold a cup in her hands and because I want I I was planning to make my card something about you know fill your cup with compassion for 2017 so she she took some great photographs for me and I asked her I said have the girls do some dress up you know have them put a scarf over their head so that they don't look like they are American children, that they are maybe from another country. So she, she sent me great pictures. And so that's, that's my next portrait that I'm going to be working on. But yeah, I have, I have to, I have to say, I want to say something. I also have another portrait in mind. Uh, We have a friend who was injured seriously in in a construction project that he was working on and I saw him back in the fall and he's you know improving and doing much better I took some photographs of him I want to do a portrait of him because it's 
it's a portrait of strength. So it's not necessarily a social ill or problem mm. that I might be wanting to talk about. It I might just want to show the strength of a person. It encapsulates suffering and triumph in any, you know, I, I think there is a, we are at a time right now where there is a, both a push to have it together, to uh, have to everybody, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you doing? And, and it's not that we should whine and <laughs> fall into grief, and, but it, it is kind of helpful to see other people's struggles, everything from a quote unquote other of another country that can really feel like they're different than me. They're from this place. They speak this. They have no point of reference. So there you're, you're attached, you're connecting people that aren't necessarily like us, but then all the way down to the guy that had to deal with this significant struggle when we see other people get through their pain or that they are in pain, it can kind of help us be okay with the fact that we're working on stuff mm -hmm. constantly. Mm -hmm. So I, I like that as a, so it sounds like it's just, you, you have to feel kind of an emotional connection. I do. To I your do. subject. Even, you know, even if it's just a, a still life of something that I have, I've, I've done still lives of, of the eggs and feathers mm -hmm. because I have an emotional attachment to my chickens. <laughs> sure. Well, again, there's the local and then there's the global, the magic uh, in the ordinary of eggs. And then the magic in, in someone far, far away that is hopefully surviving, hopefully doing better. But we're, we're all human beings in that regard. We're coming up on an hour and this has been wonderful. And I honestly would like, I, I feel like we could go. Uh, multiple parts for this and we'll, we'll do whatever feels good for you. But I, there's just really two more things that I want to go in today. And, and there's, and especially I would like to go to one of these where you can see uh, you and others doing this live, but what is it like while you're doing the art? What, what is, what is it like in your mind? Is your mind shut off? Are you in a state of flow? Are you thinking, what does that look like for you? When I'm in my studio, I'm usually, sometimes I will listen to books, but that's diff, that's kind of difficult for me unless I'm just drawing and painting mindlessly mm -hmm. um, because it, it's difficult for me to pay attention to what I'm drawing or painting and to listen to the book. But I do listen to music. I like to listen to Beth Hart. I like to listen to Cab Moe. I like to listen to Willie Nelson. I, I've discovered a new musician, Regina Carter, mm. who is an African-American fiddle player, and she's just fabulous. And so I, I bought one of her albums. And, and so I, I listen to music. If it, and if I'm in my studio, I'm pretty much in a zone there with the music and the art and I don't you know if I get a phone call it breaks that zone right it but it's interesting though when I when I'm usually when I do an art festival I've I've done the Greenway art show mm -hmm. in Murfreesboro I do that every year and I will often take my easel and paint while I'm there but that's a different kind of painting and and 
I don't mind if people come around and watch. In fact, I love for people to come around and watch. And especially at the Greenway show, there are often children. And so I'll offer them the brush Mm. and say, would you like to make a stroke on the painting? Because it's just a fun painting and it's not going to be, I'm not expecting to take home a masterpiece, but I want to involve people. So it's different when I'm in my studio or whether I'm out in the public painting. I did find myself Saturday night, though, at the gallery, kind of getting into that zone at one time. And, And part of what we were doing there was not only painting, but also interacting and talking with the public. So sometimes I had to pull myself out of the zone and say, okay, stop for a minute so that you can... Answer somebody's question. (laughs) That's so interesting to exist and to have to shift between those two places. I I think that the zone, as as it's called in sports and any number, even people in uh, challenging, like dangerous situations can sometimes end up in that place where no longer is their mind attached to all. It's kind of like what you said about squinting. Everything slows down and, and you're there. And I think that's like a very healing place to get to with whatever door you can use to get there. Um, and it's hard to get there, perhaps. It sounds like you had to invest a lot of time and uh, commitment to this this craft to it, get it there. Does, it does take a lot of... It does take time and it does take commitment. My, my father passed away in July. Hmm. And for the last four years, I've been spending a lot of time on the road between here and West Tennessee, helping to take care of my parents and and care for him in various illnesses that he's had. And I always take my art stuff with me when I go. It, It may be a box of pastels. It may be the whole kit and caboodle of oils and easel and everything, but I, I take something with me and, and I do sketches of him. In fact, one of my favorite paintings is a sketch of my father that I did after he had come out of the hospital. He was in a lot of pain. He felt bad, but he was sitting at the kitchen table shaving. And I took some photographs of him and I said, I promise you that I won't post these on Facebook. And he kind of grinned. And then I went upstairs for the evening and did the pastel sketch of him and posted that on Facebook. And I said, now I didn't promise not to post the painting, but that turned out to be one of my famous paintings. And the whole point of all of that rambling was that you find that it, it is a passion. So I find the time and the moments, no matter what. Mother is with us now a lot. Mm -hmm. and uh, which is wonderful but so I found myself doing a lot of paintings of her sketching her you know I I took my easel in the house and just she was just sitting in the recliner and, and I would just sketch her I have a friend who is an artist who has a studio at her house and mother and I went to her house one day and mother took uh, quilt squares to piece on her quilt and she sat in the model's chair and sat for us and quilted while we painted her so you you grab whatever moments you have to do your passion 
Yeah, the tapestry of your life right now. People can have these ideas. Oh, I'm going to do that when I when I get through this period of whatever, of busyness, of stress, of grief, of happiness. I'm too happy. Things are too good right now. But being able to weave it in to whatever your life looks like right now with whatever little moments or big moments you can. And and that really is, is going to be the last question for this part one or perhaps <laughs> what, however we do it. How how does this art affect the rest of your life? How does this color? I already have lessons that I've learned, even though I'm not really in this world, about the whole notion of squinting, of looking what are things that they're and and also your juxtaposition of both eggs as well as uh, human struggle. I, I love that. But what for you does doing this? How does that color the rest of your life? Hmm. I look at everything with new eyes now. Whether, you know, I can be driving down the road and see the most amazing colors in the sky that I never saw before I started painting. I just, I I can see things. And so... Not too long after I started painting and and Susan had talked with us about color and, you know, I was really thinking about color. I was stopped at a stoplight and the next time, about dusky dark in Mm -hmm. the evening, when you're stopped at a stoplight, I want you to look at those three lights and try to find a place where there's not going to be anybody behind you because... They might get a little irritated sure. with you not going through Moving the light. Through, yeah, go, 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 <laughs> hurry, yeah. But look look at the lights, at the color in those lights. It is amazing. It's amazing. So so I I look at everything with the with a different eye now than I did before. That's that's amazing. And we've also been given a good piece of homework. If if whoever is listening, if anyone's listening, I'm I have homework. Uh and I actually lied. I, I said I had that was the last question, but I really want to ask this final thing, and that's uh actually maybe two more questions, but one, what advice would you give because some people may hear this and love I mean I feel like I want to take a painting class now after this conversation just to even enter that world and to find out um, again passion is is an attractive thing what advice would you give yourself back at age let's just say that first year at, at MTSU whatever 18 19 looking back on the other side of the path try everything that that's my advice try don't turn anything down Try it all. That I go back to what I said earlier about I'm fearless. You know, I mentioned workshops earlier. I have I've taken several workshops from people that I just think are amazing artists. If I didn't think they were amazing artists, I wouldn't be taking a workshop from them. Sure. And just because they're an amazing artist doesn't mean that they're a good teacher. Also, but um, I, I've had wonderful experiences at all the workshops that I've taken. And one one of the workshops that I took was with an artist named Max Ginsburg. And I don't know if you're familiar with him, but if you're not, look him up when you go home. That's your next bit of homework. Mm-hmm. But Max Ginsburg, he's a social commentator with his art. And and I thought, you know, what 
going back to being fearless, when I was trying to, he was coming to Nashville to do a workshop. And when I tried to decide whether or not I should do his workshop, I thought, you know, I am so not in that league of people who should be Mm. taking from Max Ginsburg. Mm. You know, that's, I'm, you know, I'm way out of my league there. Right. But I did it. And it was wonderful, and I came away with some great studies that I've lo- that that I've I've used. You know the things that I learned in that workshop, and I had the opportunity to hear him speak. So my advice is to try it all, to be fearless. Just you know, give it a shot. And if you feel like you're out of your league, you may not be someday. And that can be a great place to exist too, because you're learning from the, from many steps up on the ladder. Finally, if folks want to find out more about your work, if they want to reach, however, social media, plug your stuff, however you want to do that. I have a, I have a website that people can see my work and it's carolburning.com. That's easy. That's easy. C-A-R-O-L-B-E-R-N-I-N-G. That's correct. Mm Mm-hmm. That's correct. I'm also on uh, Facebook and Instagram. I don't tweet. I'm not sure I want to be tweeting <laughs> these days. But yeah, so Facebook and Instagram and my website. And I I do, um, I mentioned commissions earlier. I do commissions, portraits, landscapes, still life, you know, what whatever. And she actually on her website has a blog as well. It's on the right hand. So you can kind of get more of a feel of what we've talked about in her process. And she, you even have like sort of detailing the steps on yes. one of your blogs. So I used to think that I wanted to write the great American novel. And when I stopped teaching, I stopped writing as much because I was writing as I was teaching. You know, if I was teaching my children, my students to write an essay. I wrote essays with them. And so when I when I stopped teaching, I wasn't writing as much. And I just felt like it was important for me to write about my art, either because I might be sharing a bit of knowledge that I had learned somewhere, or just to talk about my struggle with with, you know, what I do with it. So that's the that's the reason I do the blog. And I also have an email newsletter through that website and people can sign up for my email newsletter and, and I'll send out information that way. Very cool. I am signed up for that actually as well. So thank you so much, Carol. Thank you. Thank you for giving me this time and, and thank you all for listening. Have a great day. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to support this podcast, one way is to go to iTunes and write a positive review for Epic Ordinary Lives. I will be back next Tuesday with another episode. And otherwise, hope you have a great week. Take care.